it's very much about finding those little moments and realizing that connecting with nature doesn't have to involve like an epic adventure every time. It's great to have those uh, bigger trips, but it could also be just connecting with nature like in, in small and simple ways. Hi, this is Danae. I'm the founder of Simple Families. Simple Families is an online community for parents who are seeking a simpler, more intentional life. In this show, we focus on minimalism with kids, positive parenting, family wellness, and decreasing the mental load. My perspectives are based in my firsthand experience raising kids, but also rooted in my PhD in child development. So you're going to hear conversations that are based in research, but more importantly, real life. Thanks for joining us. Hello, hello. That voice you heard in the intro is Linda Ockeson McGurk. You might recognize Linda's voice. She's been on the podcast before. It was way back in episode 90, simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 90, where she told us all about her first book, There's No Such Thing as Bad Weather. And I know that she inspired myself and so many others to get our kids outside. Linda is back today to talk about her brand new book, The Open Air Life, Discover the Nordic Art of Friluftsleeve and Embrace Nature Every Day. She's a Swedish-American who, in my last interview with her, was raising her kids here in the U.S., and now she's living with them in her home country of Sweden. We often hear in the news and in the media how the people in Scandinavia are so much happier, how they're leading the way in sustainability how the kids don't start school until about seven. In many ways, it seems that the Scandinavians have a few things figured out. So I love hearing Linda's perspective on the differences between raising kids in the U.S. and in Sweden, not only in the differences in parenthood, but also the differences in culture. Linda teaches us all about friluftsliv. She taught me how to say it too. I'm doing my best here, which equates to open-air life, something that she has grown to use as a tool to combat stress, anxiety, depression, burnout. I'm grateful to have her joining me today to talk more about this essential guide to slowing down in a modern, fast-paced society, perhaps stepping back from our digital worlds and stepping more into the natural world. Without further ado, here's my chat with Linda. Hi, Linda. How are you? I am great. How are you? Good. Welcome back. Thank you. It's been it's a been while. A years. Yeah. yeah. What year did your first book come out? Um, it came out in 2017. Okay. And, so I think that's the year that you were on the podcast. I think yes. you were one of my first guests, actually. Yeah. I think I might have been. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I- I still have people referencing that episode and talking about your work, and I'm excited to hear all about your new book. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm excited to tell you about it. It's been fun to build that community in the past five years, and, and now um, to follow up with this uh, second book that sort of delves deeper into one of the topics that I um, wrote about in my first book. Yeah. Your first book, There's No Such Thing as Bad Weather, was so inspiring to people all over the U.S. in particular. Um, But I'm curious how it was received throughout the world. So it did really well in Eastern Europe. Uh, It Mm -hmm. sold well in um, Poland, and it also uh, sold the rights to uh, Hungary and... uh, Oh, Czech Republic, uh, and it's it's sold to about six or seven other countries. And I just signed um, uh, a contract for China, actually. So that'll be really interesting mm-hmm. to see how it goes over there, um, because China, what after what I've been told, um, they prefer sort of their own uh, Chinese parenting experts when it um, uh, when it comes to like parenting books, but you never know. So it'll be really interesting. It's just been sort of slow building. Some some books, they become bestsellers at once, but mine has been building a following over the years. So it's only gotten stronger. I think it, it sells um, 
just as well now as it did in the beginning. So it's just been building and building. Uh, and, and a lot of it is just word of mouth. My, my readers are uh, posting about it and um, getting excited about it. And, and, you know, of course, I, I love it. It's, it's awesome to see, you know, the, the impact that it's having um, across the globe. Yeah. For those of you out there who haven't read There's No Such Thing as Bad Weather, can you give us a little summary about what that is? Yeah, so um, it uh, it's basically um, based on uh, uh, on my encounter or the culture clash that I experienced when I moved from my native Sweden to the U.S. and I started a, a family there with my uh, American husband, and uh, it was just a very different. I noticed there was a very different way of raising kids, and, and whereas I in Sweden. Um, nature is considered a, an essential part of childhood. Um, I noticed that it was very different in Indiana, where we lived uh, at the time. I rarely saw kids outside, and um, preschool was very academic, um, and people were almost afraid of letting their kids outside in the wintertime and the cold, which ran completely contrary to the way I'd been raised. And that sort of uh, planted a seed for this book, and um, I ended up uh, going back. I took took the kids and went back to Sweden and lived there for nearly six months, and uh, uh, just to to see to see what the contrast would be like. And and the book sort of uh, follow us on this trip, uh, this transformative trip to Sweden, and and uh, and then back to the U.S. again, and sort of compares the two different um, ways of raising kids and. Uh, yeah. And just the, the sort of learnings from that. Yeah. And, oh, well, I grew up in Ohio, so not far from Indiana. And I see a lot of that fear, but here in New York too, the fear is not just around kids going outside in the winter. There's just a lot of fear around the outdoors, you know, yeah. whether it's being afraid of ticks and Lyme disease or the West right. Nile virus or Zika or poison ivy or poison oak. I mean, the list could go on of all the things that we as parents find scary. And sometimes the indoors feels safer. Did you experience that? Oh, absolutely. And I have people contact me uh, every week about, you know, they want me to share uh, things about uh, ticks. And and, uh, I just had somebody contact me about uh, poison ivy. Uh, and that's what I use my blog for. Uh, I, I try to share the knowledge that I have about these things and and uh, try and, and educate people on, you know, what are what are sort of rational fears and what are irrational fears, because there's um, not all of these fears are rational. Obviously, there are there are definitely risks to going outside. Um, but in my opinion, uh, what I try to do is sort of equip uh, parents to to sort of educate themselves on what the issues are and how they can prevent them, uh, rather than feeling like they have to uh, stay inside. Because frankly, that comes with its own set of risks. Uh, they may not be as palpable as a tick bite, but staying inside and not not getting that. Uh, sun exposure and, and uh, fresh air and uh, physical activity, you know, that comes with huge risks to right. our immune systems and, um, you know, just physical uh, and mental health. Uh, we, I think we saw that during the pandemic when there were lockdowns and people, in some places, people were barely allowed to leave their apartments and uh, people were like literally going crazy. And, you know, so there's always a different way of looking at it. Are there risks to outdoor play? Absolutely. But there are, I think the risk of just, you know, letting, letting ourselves get overcome by that fear I think those risks are a lot greater. So that's kind of my my message to to parents. Yeah, I had a real um, kind of head shaking moment when I, I don't even know how to describe it when I opened up your new book um, and I saw 
there is a disclaimer on the, um, is it the copyright page? What is that yeah. page called? What is that? I mean, it literally says outdoor recreational activities are by their very nature potentially hazardous. Was that required? Like you had to put in a disclaimer in this book because people might hurt themselves after reading I, it? I, I suppose it was. I don't mean um, to laugh, but like it, it was, I was just really surprised yeah. by that. It's very, very American. Um, right. I've never, I've never seen that in in any uh, <laughs> Swedish books about outdoor recreation. <laughs> right. But um, it, I did not put it in there. But I, I, I'm, I assume yeah. legal. The legal team did because uh, I do write about things like you know cold swimming and uh, okay. and things like that. Okay. That. That yeah. makes sense, I guess. Yeah. yeah I, um, I, after I read your book, your first book, um, There's No Such Thing as Bad Weather, I was inspired to take a trip with my family and we went to Norway. Um, I've decided this is maybe a sales tactic of Scandinavian um, travel is that you sell really cheap plane tickets and then charge people a fortune <laughs> for everything else. <laughs> is it like that in Sweden too? Oh, you know what? Norway is super expensive. So yeah. the Norwegians who live close to the border, they come over uh, to us to buy like groceries and, and beer and things like that. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. So we got these really cheap plane tickets in February and I really wanted to see what it was like in the winter. And um, so we made a trip and we, we stayed in an Airbnb. We had a lovely, lovely time. Um, but after that trip, I feel like I, I, I was for sure a believer at the time my daughter was, she was not quite yet two. And I tried the napping outside in the frigid temperatures and it was in fact a success. She yeah. slept better in the stroller than she's ever slept before. Yeah. Um, but the one thing, the liability thing really stood out to me during this trip. So mm. it was at the end of February and what, from what we were told, we were in Oslo and in Bergen. And what, from, from what we were told was that the city has allotted a certain amount of money for salt for the roads each year. And it had run out. So there was mm. no salt on the roads. There was no salt on the sidewalks. And I'm not kidding you. There were people everywhere on crutches. Like everyone... Oh. <laughs> Everyone had fallen on the ice. So we had a little run in with my daughter. She cut her face open on a table and we had to take her to the ER. And I went, we went to the ER and there is the largest box I have ever seen of crutches. It's just this huge box and people would just kind of like come and go and like take their crutches when they needed them. But for an American, as an American, like if you owned a shop, you would have to clear your sidewalk because it's a liability. But there, it just seemed like it was, you know, you take responsibility for yourself, which felt mm. very different. Yeah. Um, and that, and I, I feel like that theme is, it, it has a big impact on the way that we enjoy the outdoors because as a result of all of the liability risks mm. in the U.S., it's so hard to access the outdoors yeah. in ways yeah. that are really free. Yeah, it is. I mean, landowners are not exactly excited about letting people on their property. Um, If you're lucky and you know somebody and they trust you, um, I mean, I I know of that. In in Indiana, we lived in rural Indiana. There there was not uh, land that was accessible by the for the public. Like not a lot of public land. I think less than five percent in Indiana. It differs a lot from state to state. Um, so, you know, we were lucky to have a small acreage, but we also had some friends who had acreage. And so I always made a point to invite my kids, friends over so that they could play. And I would also ask people that I trusted or that I hope trusted me. And when we ended up doing like little exchanges in the Nordic countries, we have something called uh, Allemansrätten, which I write about in, in my second book, The Open Air Life. It's the right to roam. So you can access pretty much any land uh, aside from uh, space like right next to a dwelling, uh, whether it's public or publicly owned or privately owned, doesn't matter. You have the right to, to walk or uh, camp or in Sweden, you can even light like little campfires on private property, which I know sounds outrageous and I mean to American ears, right? Um, it's very much cultural, and it goes back a long, a long time. And of course, that's shaped the way we've 
grown up and the way we act towards uh, personal responsibility and, and liability and, and all that. And we also have very different laws where you can't just sue somebody in Sweden. So I think that is definitely, definitely a, a hurdle to, um, to outdoor recreation in the U.S. So I think in the U.S. you're a little more restricted to uh, public land. I, I mean, I think there are some organizations, I think we're seeing it in the UK, I know at least, where uh, where a state uh, goes in and partners with landowners in, in exchange for, you know, compensation where they allow, uh, you know, the public to use their property as well. So I think, I mean, I think there are some things that can be, can be done. We're going to pause for a three-minute word from today's sponsors. The first sponsor today is Fairty. Fairty is all about clothing for life's best moments, whether it's a Friday night football game, the first day of school, or hanging with the family in your backyard. Fairty makes clothes that feel good and make you look good. If you've ever had a chance to pop into a Fairty store or a store that carries Fairty items, you'll quickly realize that you feel like you want to touch everything because it's so soft. Not only is their clothing high quality, but they're also passionate about craftsmanship and sustainability. In fact, many think that their clothes actually get better with age. If a soft flannel shirt sounds appealing to you this fall, look no further than Fairty. That's where I got my favorite one. Right now, Fairty is giving listeners an amazing deal. You get a full 20% off on your order. So head to fairtybrand.com simple and use the code simple at checkout to get this deal. That's code simple at Fairty, F-A-H-E-R-T-Y brand dot com slash simple for 20% off. Fairtybrand.com slash simple. Our second sponsor for today is Indeed. If you have shied away from challenges, you probably wouldn't be the person you are today. If you need to hire someone who loves a good challenge as much as you do, you can find them fast with Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. You don't have to spend multiple hours on multiple job sites for candidates with the right skills. You can do it all with Indeed. In fact, during this one minute that I'm talking to you here about Indeed, 16 hires were made on the website. When you sponsor an Indeed post in the US, you're three times more likely to get a hire, according to Indeed data. My favorite part is that they keep it simple because Indeed knows that when you're growing your own business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why with Indeed, you only pay for quality applications that match your must-have job requirement. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Visit indeed.com families to start hiring now. Go to indeed.com families. Indeed.com families. Terms and conditions apply. Our third sponsor for today is Organifi. Organifi is a line of organic superfood blends that offers plant-based nutrition with high quality ingredients. Each Organifi blend is science-backed to craft the most effective doses with ingredients that are organic and free of fillers. And bonus, they have less than three grams of sugar per serving. I've been starting my day with the Organifi Red Juice which gives some energy support without caffeine, it's delicious. Just don't spill it on your white rug like I did. In the evenings, I'm also loving the Organifi Gold, which is a great way to wind down and end the day. Each of the blends is simple to use. You mix it with water or your favorite beverage on the go, and they don't compromise quality for taste. You can try out Organifi's high quality superfoods without breaking the bank. Go to Organifi.com forward slash simple and use the code simple for 20% off your entire order. That's Organifi.com forward slash simple and use the code simple for 20% off your entire order. During the pandemic, we bought bike camping gear so that we could go on bike trips and camp along the way. Um, Mm -hmm. And regrettably, we have not used it because (laughs) I cannot find anywhere that we can camp because all of the trails have privately um, owned land next to them. So, I mean, it's possible to find public parks and state parks and that kind of thing, but it's, yeah. it's a lot. I've spent a lot of time researching and trying to plan out a trip where just to have somewhere to pop a tent. And right. it's, it's, I haven't been successful in doing that yet. You haven't found any apps either. Cause I know in Sweden, we have uh, an app where you can sign up kind of like an Airbnb, but for mm-hmm. camp space. So, um, I was thinking maybe the U.S. had something similar. Mm, I will. I'll check into that. Maybe there is yeah. like kind of like an 
an Airbnb for camping. I wonder that would be, that would be interesting, but yeah, it just, it feels, it feels harder and it feels kind of like it takes up more mental space sometimes to make Mm. these things happen. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad to see this book because I think you do simplify it in a way that sometimes people like me tend to overcomplicate spending time in nature. Right. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's as easy as just, um, you know, just sleeping on the porch. Like I do that with my kids sometimes. That was something that we um, did in Indiana a lot when they were little. And just being able to go out and like see uh, the Milky Way and going to, you know, um, going to sleep under those stars. Um, that's a nature experience too. You're not in the wilderness, you're outside your home. Um, but it's a very simple way of experiencing nature in everyday life. And I think what Friluftsleve is, which is what my book is about, you know, that it's very much about finding those little moments and realizing that connecting with nature doesn't have to involve like an epic adventure every time. It's great to have those uh, bigger trips, but it could also be just connecting with nature, like in in small and simple ways. So that does that translate into open air life? Uh, It literally translates to free air life, but the translation that is more commonly used is open air. So you call it a culturally learned rhythm which I thought Mm -hmm. was a really good way of explaining it because it's not necessarily Mm -hmm. something you do. It is, or is it something you do or do you feel like it's just more a way of a way of being? I think it's uh, a way of being. I mean, when you think of it at first, you might uh, think of the activities like, uh, you know, foraging for berries or cross-country skiing or going hiking or or camping, um, cold swimming. Um, I mean, you name it, like any... There are all kinds of outdoor activities, right? Um, but Filius Liv is more, it is about, um, it's a philosophy. Uh, it's also, uh, you know, it's about being uh, gentle on the earth. So it has that whole sort of environmental ethos as well that comes with it. And it's, I mean, it is cultural because it's something that's only been around for less, well, less than 200 years is when it really appeared. Um, and Tell it was us a, how it started. I thought that was yeah. fascinating. Yeah. So essentially it was a, a reaction against industrialization and, uh, you know, ur- industrialization, which led to urbanization and modernization of uh, people. And this is, I mean, nearly, when you think about it now, it's like, this is nearly 200 years ago and people were already feeling like they had to get away from the noise and the stress and the traffic and the crowds. Um, and, uh, you know, it kind of started in the upper upper classes of society. So it was the intellectuals and the artists who sort of romanticized nature. And um, they saw this sort of open air life as a way of uh, good health and live a way to live well uh, and get away from all, all the negative effects of industrialization. So they started going on excursions like to the countryside. And then this sort of took hold and the government realized that um, this was great for like preventive uh, public health, right? Uh, All the fresh air, people were outside getting all this exercise. And so the government started to promote it as well. And then workers started to get more time off with, you know, there were labor reforms. So um, people had, um, you know, they had a, a day off every week. So um, for a while there, uh, free time was synonymous, more or less, with uh, free love sleep or open air life, because that's what people did like in their free time. Yeah, I found it fascinating that it wasn't the farmers and the hunters and the people who were naturally connected, naturally connected to nature right. that really started this. It was people mm-hmm. like, like me who maybe weren't born into a life yeah. like that, but found a way to it yeah because they were all outside all the time they didn't really like Mm -hmm. need it quote unquote because they were already working the land they were getting all the nature connection that they needed um but it was the people in the cities who were removed from nature they felt 
they felt the need to reconnect. So the, the government marketed it kind of like an intervention for these people in the cities? Um, yeah, they, they did that by creating national, like a national park system, okay. for example, and creating local parks and trails where people could, people could exercise. They, uh, started like summer camps for kids, uh, in the cities. And some of that, I mean, lives on, uh, to this day, like with the summer camps, for example. And, uh, uh, so yeah. And it was also promoted. There was another reason why it was promoted by the government. And that is that, um, defense like national defense um we we very much have a like a people's defense here in sweden we're so small so the government needed for the population to be strong and healthy and uh was you know the way to to achieve that through cross-country skiing and and hiking and that kept people in shape and and um, strong and ready to defend the country so yeah so the government was definitely uh, they had a vested interest, and and to this day, they they continue to support it through through the school curriculum, for example, uh, open air life or freeluftsleeve activity, like different free uh, free activities are um, part of the national curriculum, both both for the uh, preschool and for uh, grade school. So the kids have special like days throughout the school year where. They do like orienteering, for example. So all kids here learn how to read a map and like navigate with a, uh, I guess the younger kids don't use a compass, but they learn how to read a map. Uh, and uh, they have days when they might go like skiing or ice skating and things like that. So it's, it's worked into the curriculum. And it's also a way that the government they see it as a way to educate people about um, environmental issues too. So, yeah, so it's all part of that. As you are, you're now a full-time resident of Sweden and your girls are going to school in Sweden. Are they both teenagers? Mm-hmm. Uh, they are 11 and 14. So I have a tween oh. and a teen. So <laughs> tell me a little bit about what you've seen, maybe just your anecdotal comparisons of the outdoors with teenagers in the U.S. and in Sweden. And do you feel like in Sweden you're facing a lot of the same challenges around screen time and phone use and that kind of thing? Yeah, absolutely. I'm not going to sit here and say that my kids, uh, because we live in Sweden, uh, always want to go outside rather than sit on their um, sit and be on their uh, various screens um, cause it, it's, uh, it's not, but I think what the open air life offers and what makes it easier for us here is that there's kind of a support system. You know, I, I don't know. I, I always say that it takes a village to raise an outdoor child. And I think that applies to all ages, really. Um, I think it's just so much easier when you have the support from, from, uh, you know, parents and grandparents and preschool and school. So it's still like, you know, the, the schools, um, you know, they make them be out and go outside for recess. And, and like I said, open air life is worked into the curriculum in, in different ways. But of course, in their free time, yeah, they want to they want to be on TikTok and their Snapchat and whatnot. So then it's mostly up to me as a parent to create a good balance and there's also, I mean, I, what I see here, I think my kids do have um, maybe probably a little more freedom and opportunities to to enjoy that type of lifestyle. Um, and and this is cultural too. But like my kids will sometimes they they'll go camp uh, with their friends like on their own. And um, I don't know that they would have maybe had that freedom in in the U.S. So that's uh, that's definitely a little different. Uh, Yeah, you can't even run. You can't even leave your kid in the car to go into the post office here. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Pretty sure you're not allowed to send your kids camping on their own. But um, I guess it just all depends on the region. Um, But yeah, Yeah. I think that parental fear... um, it is, it is strong. And my, so I have a, my daughter's six and my son is eight. 
and um, she likes to wander. Like she definitely is a natural yeah. born wanderer and she does wander in our neighborhood. I let her walk to a friend's house, but it's probably like three houses away, probably maybe two tenths yeah. of a mile. And there's been a handful of people who have stopped them kind of like, what are you doing? Really? Like, did you escape? You're not wow. supposed to be out here. Um, <laughs> but then there's also people that cheer them on. I've had people walk by and like, oh, is that your daughter? Like, it's so great to see kids <laughs> out by themselves. It's oh, nice um, to, to be able to give her that freedom and we're in a, sp- in a yeah. space that's safe for it. Um, but at the same time, I do think the public perception is is very strong and divisive. There are some people who support yeah. it and some people who don't. Right. It's hard because you don't want to be judged as, uh, you know, being as for neg- like neglecting your kids. And then that some people could have could easily get that impression when all you're trying to do is give them healthy freedom and, and um, responsibility. So, yeah. yeah. And it, it is a lot of opportunity for them to, experience a little bit of taste of Mm. a little taste of freedom within limits and I think they really can grow and I think it sounds really cool to be able to camp by themselves that sounds I bet they love that yeah they do they do Uh, and and my youngest one uh, she's 11 we we just went uh, went up north actually and just climbed the tallest mountain in Sweden and I was so I was so excited and surprised that she wanted to go I was I was hoping that she wanted to, um, but it was her, the thing is, it was her idea to, to get up on this peak. I'm not usually one to push for things like that. I'm perfectly happy just doing any trail, but I'm no, what I've noticed with my kids as they get older is that it's, it's become more important to them to have like a specific goal. They want to see something specific or they want to climb, uh, climb a peak or, yeah, have a specific destination or they're not, they're less into the wandering. So I think, you know, it's interesting to see as, um, as they get older, how our relationship with nature and how we, uh, how we enjoy open air life, how it sort of uh, changes a little bit. And, and there are ebbs and flows too. I remember when I was a teenager, uh, you know, being out in nature was not, not my, uh, not something I did like all the time. Like I drifted away from it for a few years, but then having been, been raised in this culture, it, you know, it came back to me. And I think deep inside, I always knew that it would, it was just a matter of time, but you know, there for a few years, yeah. Like you're, it's all about like boys or, you know, yeah. Gaining independence. And you're thinking about like, yeah, your future. And there's just so much going on. And, but, but I think nature, it's, it's great to have that nature connection for them to fall back on, because I know how valuable it is for um, mental health. And especially, you know, I think about my oldest daughter who's 14. At that age, they're so vulnerable. And um, uh, when you look at depression and anxiety and we don't know exactly how that correlates to screen use, but researchers have seen a link between, you know, the heaviest screen users and that there is an increased risk for, you know, like poor sleep and anxiety, uh, depression in, in teenage girls. So, so to me, you know, that makes it even more important to make sure that my daughter still has that connection. Yeah. So you also mentioned that you were not a nature expert or a hardcore adventurer going into this journey with your kids. Do you find that other parents in Sweden are getting their kids out at the same rate as you are with the same passion that you are, even if they're not experts themselves? Uh, I think I'm probably not. I'm probably maybe a little more passionate than, than the average parent. Uh, and I think, you know, just my experience with having lived in the U.S. and how I got into like writing books yeah. and everything has made me uh, more into it. But it is a very common thing. Like most people have that sort of basic outdoor knowledge, like, you know, how to make up fire and, and like cook outside or um, yeah, just the it's, it's a very common way of, of going outside here. Uh 
I like I, I've been starting to challenge myself more just because I've noticed that I enjoy it. So, for example, I did a, a winter uh, camping uh, challenge with a friend of mine. And uh, so we've been sleeping outside for at least uh, one night every month for an oh, entire true. year. And yeah, you're not going to see every Swede like out there in a yeah. <laughs> in a tent in uh, in January. But the everyday sort of the everyday nature connection, just like uh, going for walks around your neighborhood, that's definitely, um, I'd say when you look at the statistics, like more than 90% of the people here do take part in that kind of outdoor. Um, so, so that's very commonplace. Yeah. So you do differentiate between everyday freelutzvliv weekend, I'm going to try to say it three times now, weekend free loop sleeve <laughs> and vacation free loop sleeve. Did I butcher that? Did yeah. I get that okay? <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a little bit about how those look different in your life. Yeah. So yeah, so the everyday free loop sleeve could be, um, you know, that's, that's the, those are the things that are easy for you to do in your everyday life. So that might look a little different for each person. We live near a lake. So for us, uh, a lot of times it could be just going down to the lake, going for a swim uh, after school, or yeah, like the most common way of doing it weekdays would be to just enjoy your own yard, backyard if you have one, or going for like a, a walk uh, in, in the neighborhood to maybe just do things like, you know, maybe in the spring, like listening to the birds that have come back from migration or look for signs of uh, uh, spring or uh, pick some berries if you, if you live near the woods. Um, and then on the weekends, you have time to plan for maybe, maybe you'll drive, uh, drive to a park somewhere and cook a meal with friends. Something that takes a little more planning and is a little more overwhelming that you can't do during a work, work day. Um, and then vacation freelessly. Yeah, that's kind of what I was talking about with me and my daughter going far north of the Arctic Circle and like climbing this uh, mountaintop, uh, something that you might do once or twice a year. Uh, trying to go to like a really wild place if you can, one where you really get away from civilization and all those stressors, because that's, um, that's really when, when you can relax the most is when you... Uh, get away from from the traffic and, and the crowds and, and the noise. Yeah, I love that. There were some examples in your book that made me smile of things that would be considered very unusual here, like um, the HR man who does job interviews in a canoe. Um, <laughs> that kind of thing. I, I love it because it's just, it, why not? You know, got Wi-Fi, why not? Yeah, I, yeah, I, I realized that. And, and that's why I wanted to highlight some of those yeah. examples it's just a different way of doing things right and the yeah. tell us about the bird and moose extravaganza on the radio <laughs> yeah so so a few years ago uh so so like people are very infatuated with with nature uh, also as entertainment like so even when you're indoors here nature plays a, a great role and uh Nature programming is very uh, popular on both on the radio and TV. And so for the past few years, we've had this, um, this uh, radio show where, you know, it goes on for, oh gosh, I can't remember how many hours now, but it's like all night. <laughs> this bird song, bird song bonanza with uh it occurs in this every spring and it's basically just a way of celebrating uh the return of the migratory birds and uh and they have cameras or they have uh, microphones like set up at this these different bird watching locales uh, like across like all over the country and they have commentators uh, who are um you know talking about the different birds and 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 there are hundreds of thousands of people who listen to this show. And uh, I think I compared it to 
to like the os it's like more popular than the the oscars and, and something else <laughs> like in the u.s combined um and there's also a, a tv show um called the great moose migration and that's all that does is like following this herd of moose and uh uh, most of the time, there's absolutely nothing going on. There's just these cameras that have been set up in the woods. And uh, if you're lucky, you know, you might see a bird fly by or some ice flows. And, and then the big, you know, culmination of this show is when the herd of moose, when they cross uh, this river, just <laughs> just like they've had, they have for, for thousands of years, but, you know, that and that really became huge during the pandemic when a lot of people were at home working from home and they just kind of had it on in the background. It was very just calming and relaxing, I think, to just sort of you're inside. But at the same time, you can bring nature in by having that sort of on in the background. And and if you're lucky, you know, you might get to see a moose. <laughs> yeah, it sounds beautiful. I mean, if you're going to put music on in the background, why not play some bird songs? Yeah, I, I love that mm -hmm. idea. Never thought about it, but maybe maybe I'll try that. There's got to be a Spotify channel for that, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. One of the things that I enjoyed reading about was the different forms of walking, that in Sweden, you have so many different types of walks that you take. That mm -hmm. is interesting to me because in Spanish, there's a couple different words for walks too. That's the only other language that I speak. But in yeah. English, we just say, I'm going to go for a walk or I'm walking. Mm -hmm. But it really does I, kind of expand when you think about all these different types of walks. It does expand the the sort of the recreational aspect of it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I just got to think of it when I started writing the book. I was like, you know, a lot of uh, open air life, it really revolves around walking. And actually, we we use uh, the term strolling even because and, and I think there's a there's a slight difference because strolling implies that it's something mm -hmm. that is done for joy and it's very leisurely and it's not at all like I, I, I felt like in the US, I never knew how to uh, there's walking, but then there's also hiking, right? Mm -hmm. And those two feel different to me. But hiking doesn't exactly represent what I do in like an open air life most of the time. Like it can be, but hiking to me is like okay. Then you gotta pack a backpack and you gotta drive somewhere, and it's like preferably some exotic location, and you gotta have a map and compass, and, and you know. <laughs> Worry about getting lost, and it's like this big thing. But we would probably just call that like a forest walk most of the time, uh, and uh, and and so yeah, we have like a stroller walk, for example, and that's if you're a new parent, then that's uh, what you do with other parents. Uh, typically, when you're on your parental leave, you go on a stroller walk. Um, so then, of course, you have to choose terrain that's like stroller friendly. Um, and there's like a moonlight walk when you walk in the moonlight, which is, which I can highly recommend as something magical about, um, doing that. Um, and, uh, yeah, evening walk, uh, would be one of the most common ways for me to get outside, like during the work week. Like it's, you know, what you do maybe after, after dinner and off, often after dark. And there are, yeah, and there are, are quite a few others as well. I think the number, like just the variety of, you know, in that vocabulary, it just mirrors how big a part of our lives that it is, this sort of everyday walking. And, um, and part of that, of course, is being able to access trails pretty much anywhere, too. I mean, obviously, that helps. Uh, yeah. I know a lot of people listening are going to feel inspired to get outside more, especially with their families. Mm -hmm. um, and many are going to encounter some resistance from their kids. And we had a travel episode this summer, and I talked a little bit in that episode about how when you're envisioning a vacation, you should not just envision sort of like the dream version of it. Like everyone's going to be happy mm -hmm. and smiling and um, <laughs> everyone's going to get along the whole time. And I kind of feel like that about an outdoor 
adventure, right? I always envision this could go great and this could be really hard. There could be a lot of whining. There will probably be a lot of whining. And then that helps me kind of to rein in my expectations of what this experience is going to look like. Because usually when I'm outside with my family, it looks a lot like when we're inside where we're just normal people with everyday hurdles. And it's not necessarily this like romp in the meadow with joy and flower crowns. Um, What is your experience getting kids outside and resistance? Speak a little bit to that. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I mean, it's classic. Um, I find, and I think that's a a great uh, way to deal with it, to, to really manage your expectations and not to have, with like little kids, to not have a certain distance or destination or goal in mind Uh, with little kids I think it's easier to just follow their lead like take them to a place where that you like where you like to be but don't like push too much to get to a certain spot um you know if you just kind of let kids uh play freely that's where you have you know, like the best chances of success. And, and we, I think we can all relate to the, you know, kids not wanting to go outside when it's, when it's not 70 degrees and sunny. Like, and parents not wanting to go outside. In the yeah, same, parents. Right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't always want to go outside when it's, yeah, when, when the weather uh, is challenging since, yeah, I have to say it's challenging since, since the, my uh, the title of my book is there's no such thing as bad weather so I can't say bad but um I think uh I think consistency is key there to just have like we we talked about rhythm earlier to make open air life uh to make it a rhythm uh like a, a family rhythm um and make it part of your everyday life so to make time for it every day um and uh don't make too big of a deal out of it. Just just have it be part of part of your routine so that the kids get used to it. And then, um, you know, they will come to expect it. Yeah. And, and you will reap the benefits later. Um, you will. Yeah. <laughs> it is worth it. It is worth it. it is, but it's not. I'm, yeah, I'm the first to, to say that it, it's not always easy. Yeah. Um, Especially when not. we live in a climate where everything is really temperature controlled here in New York, we, it gets mm. cold in the winter and hot in the summer. So our houses are pretty much a hundred percent sealed. So when you're inside, mm. you're really inside. Like there's no screens on the windows. We very rarely open the windows here. Yeah. Um, we use air conditioning, we use heat blown in. So I think that when you're existing so much of the time in a space like this, going outside can be very uncomfortable. You know, the wind, the ice, the rain, all of it. And many of our kids are really accustomed to spending a lot of time indoors Mm -hmm. in those same conditions. Um, I don't know. I think in other parts of the world where the climate's a little bit more mild, we just spent a month in Mexico and a lot of people have outdoor living rooms completely. Their house is basically outdoor. And that it's just so much, even though in, you could be in the city, you really are in the open air all the time. And you, I think you're desensitized a little bit to the, to the sensory overwhelm that is the outdoors. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. And I think the, uh, I think the contrast is also pretty stark. Uh, like I, I always, um, I was always fascinated by how cold American homes are in the summertime. Um, we we don't use air conditioning here in Sweden that much. It's, it's starting to become more common because the climate, I mean, let's face it, the climate is heating up and we are starting to experience summers that we never have here, uh, like much hotter than they used to be. So some people are putting in air conditioning now, um, but nor- the normal uh, way of going about, you know, cooling cooling the house in the summer is just to open all the <laughs> all the windows and doors, basically. But um, but when I when I moved to the U.S., I, I thought it was fascinating that it was just so cold inside. Yeah. I mean, I, I I get it. Like Indiana, where I live, was like super hot and humid in the summer, and um, I yeah, 
I mean, we needed that AC, but um, and, but we kept the temperature pretty high, I think, by American standards, because otherwise, you know, I want I want to be able to go in and out without having to put a you know a, <laughs> a sweater a on. sweater on when I <laughs> yeah. go inside, you yeah. know, but. Yeah. Yeah. So I, it's uncomfortable. I think the idea of just yeah. going outside and dealing with yeah. whatever nature brings on any yeah. given day. And if it's uncomfortable for us as adults, I think we have to acknowledge that it might be uncomfortable for our kids too. Yeah. I think some kids are right. much more open to it than others and others. It's, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a different, harder experience for them. And yeah. it might take a little bit more time for them to adjust and they might need smaller, more approachable increments. Yeah. I think, you know, going about it in baby steps is mm-hmm. always a good idea. But, I mean, we're seeing in the U.S. now, too, there are a lot of uh, nature preschools popping up. And yeah, those schools, are. you know, the, the kids are dressed for the elements and they are they are outside um, most of the day. And yeah. so... I can't imagine uh, the liability forms that come with yeah. those preschools. <laughs> <laughs> when yeah. we were in Mexico, my daughter did a um, an aerial silks class, and she was like two stories high, and we didn't have to sign a waiver. And I just kind of was thinking about like in the U.S., we sign a waiver yeah. for chapstick, like if we have yeah, to yeah. sunscreen on our kids at summer camp. Yeah. So, but I, you I know, know, despite that, mm-hmm. I do think it's really incredible that these forest schools really are thriving. Mm-hmm. And you're right. There are, compared to even five years ago, I think there are so many more. It's really promising. Yeah. They, and I remember when, when my kids were little, uh, there were about a handful in the entire country. And now the, at the last count, which was, I think a couple of years ago, there were nearly 600 and this nature, uh, children and nature movement has really taken off. And it's just amazing to see it gives me so much hope. Uh, I'm very excited to see it like so many people are realizing the benefits of having, you know, having their kids outside and being outside themselves too. just look at all the the lifestyle diseases of today and being outside and being active outside um, can prevent all those. I think that your work has hugely contributed, especially to the growth of the forest schools and getting kids outside here in the U.S. So thank you for all that you've done. That was my hope when I when I wrote the book, and uh, I'm excited to see where where it's all headed. Yeah, yeah. and congratulations right. on this new one. I think everyone's going to enjoy this yeah. one too. Thank you. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about where we can find you online for anyone that wants to get in touch. Yeah, so I still write my blog, uh, rainorshinemama.com, and I'm also active on Facebook and uh, Instagram uh, if you want to see a little more uh, behind the scenes. Uh, I, I share a little more from my personal life on Instagram, So, um, and also some tips and tricks uh, when it comes to open air life. So some outdoor recipes and um, just like practical advice, like how to start a fire. And Yeah. Well, thank you. I'm going to put the links to those and your books in the show notes. I appreciate it. Thank you for your time today, Linda. Thank you, Danae. Always a pleasure. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode. If you want the links to the things that Linda and I talked about today, go to simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 330. As always, I appreciate you tuning in and I'm glad you're here.